Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to see you today. Uh, good morning as well to those who are worshiping with us online. Um, like Jake said, my name is Pastor Marty. Um, I'm the director of care and community here at the church. Um, I began my job March 1st, and I started full-time March 15th. So as you can imagine, that's a very strange time to start a new job. Uh, you get to work, and you realize that the place you work at is no longer open. Um, but it's been a good experience so far. I've really enjoyed um, my time, and I'm excited to see where God is going to lead me and leave River City Church as we go. Uh, a little about me. Um, I'm married. My wife right here is Kelly, and we have two sons. One son is three. His name is Hudson. And one son is one, and his name is Judah. Before working uh, here at the church, I worked at the Fargo Adult Learning Center, where I was a teacher um, teaching the English language to adult refugees and immigrants coming to America. And um, that really was a great job. Um, I loved it a lot. I got to meet a lot of cool people from around the world. I worked with some great people. Um, but for many reasons, I didn't feel like that was the place where I was supposed to be the rest of my life. And so, long story short, I went back to school um, at a seminary, got my degree in counseling, and uh, here I am working at the church. Uh, with that, um, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Psalm 9. Psalm 9. Um, like Jake said, uh, last week, Mitch preached Psalm 10. And uh, that's a little out of order, which in general for Psalms wouldn't be that big of a deal, except that Psalm 9 and 10 kind of go together. Uh, they make an incomplete acrostic uh, going like through the alphabet A, B, C, D, E. Uh, so this week we're going to be getting the first half of the Psalm, uh, which is a little backwards, but um, I think we can carry on. With that, Psalm 9. To the choir master, according to Muth Laban, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds, and I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness, and he judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. 
Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment, and the wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O God, O Lord. For the nation, let the nations know that they are but men. So, sometimes, actually for me many times, when I read a passage in the Bible, it often creates more questions than it does answers. Upon an initial reading, um, things don't always seem to add up. I don't know if it's like that for you, but that just tends to be how I read the Bible. And this happens a lot, because the Bible can be a difficult book. But other times, many times, when I actually take the time to read through a passage uh, slowly, when I study it, when I really try to figure out what the author is trying to say, that's when the Bible really bears fruit. Because the Bible is deep. It holds a depth of information that can fill a whole lifetime of study. It is like a bottomless ocean, but that does not mean it is unknowable. Jesus said that the kingdom of God belongs to those like little children, and that we should become like little children. The unifying message of the whole Bible is relatively simple. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But the depth of meaning in that one statement, Jesus loves me, is unending. The reason I begin by saying all this is that when I first read this psalm, I, I did have a lot of questions. And we're going to get to some of those later. Um, but as I read through it time and again and really dug into what the words meant, uh, it began to become more clear to me. And this morning, that's what I hope to be able to um, show you guys more of what the Lord has for us in Psalm 9, and how we can know him and love him more because of it. So the main point I ultimately want to unpack from this passage is this. Praise the Lord because he is just. Praise the Lord because he is just. This is the main point of the psalm, and we'll be building on this statement as we continue. But let's start from the beginning although I will not be covering the psalm in sequential order. The psalm begins with two verses of praise to the Lord. David is giving thanks. He is glad. He is singing songs. He is rejoicing with his whole heart in God. And again, in verse 11, he returns to this pattern of praise. But why is he rejoicing? What reason has he for such gladness? Well, both verses 2 and 11 give us a clue. It says, 
I will recount all of your wonderful deeds and tell amongst the peoples his deeds. So it seems like David is praising the Lord because of his deeds. Now, the number of deeds that the Lord could be praised for is more numerous than the sand on the seashore. So for today, we're going to narrow in on just what are the deeds that David feels is worthy to praise the Lord in today. So what might that be? From my study of the passage, it seems that the major deed David is praising is God's justice. David uses the verb judge or the nouns judgment or justice six times. He says, you have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. He has established his throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. And let the nations be judged before you. So as we can see, God's justice is a big theme in this psalm. David is praising God because God is just. This is good, but what does it mean that God is just? How is God's justice demonstrated? Well, this psalm seems to give us two ways. First, God's justice is shown when the wicked stumble and perish. But first a note. Throughout this psalm, the wicked or David's enemies, are referred to as the nations. In David's context, the people of God were Israel. And when David mentions the nations, he likely is referring to all the godless nations that surrounded Israel. They were David's enemies in a very literal sense. And they often oppressed Israel and the people of God. David describes them as wicked. And David gives 12 statements of the sort of justice that will be given to the wicked. David writes that the wicked will be turned back, stumble, perish, be rebuked by God, have their names blotted out forever, come to an everlasting ruin, have their cities rooted out, have their memory perish, sink into their own pit, get caught in their own net, be snared in the work of their own hands, and finally, they return to Sheol, which is similar to death. That is a mouthful, but boiled down, I think a good summary for us is just to know that the wicked will stumble and perish. That is the first way that God's justice is demonstrated. But the second way in which God's justice is shown is that the oppressed are not forgotten. The psalm says that God will be a stronghold in times of trouble for the oppressed. That God will not forsake those who seek him. He will be mindful and not forget the cry of the afflicted. He will not forget the needy. He will not let the hope of the poor perish forever. So in summary of these, God remembers and helps the needy. So thus far, the message of the passage is this. Praise the Lord because he is just. The wicked will stumble and perish, while the oppressed he remembers and helps. 
And isn't this what we want from our leadership? We want just laws. People want punishment for wrongdoing. And people want help for the needy. If we want that in our earthly governments, how much more do we desire that from God? We want a God who punishes evil and rewards good. We want a God who cares for the needy and listens to their cries. We want a just God. The alternative would be terrible. So this is where my questions start to come in. If we look around at the world, often it doesn't look like justice is being done at all. All too often, evil seems to go unpunished. All too often, we do see the needy and the overlooked oppressed. And it's easy to see the depravity of our world and cry out, Where are you, God? Where is your justice? Why have you not done something about this? I'm going to give a few examples. I mentioned earlier that I used to be a teacher to refugees coming into America. And so the stories of some of their lives and the countries that they come from is close to my heart. Many of you have may not have even heard of the country of Bhutan, but it's right there, right between China and India, a small little nation. Late in the 20th century, an ethnic minority in Bhutan began to be persecuted by the dominant ruling group. People who had been in their country since birth were denied citizenship and basic rights. Brutal violence and persecution finally led to about 100,000 people fleeing their homes. Most would spend the next 15 to 20 years in primitive, disease-ridden, and dreadfully boring refugee camps. And as far as I know, the kingdom of Bhutan has never repented for what they've done. And so we ask, where, O oh Lord, is your justice here? In Iraq, war and persecution has led to around 3 million displaced peoples. And about 18% of their population are now in need of humanitarian assistance and protection. And many of these are Christian brothers and sisters. Where, O oh Lord, is your justice? And in Africa, the Second Congo War led to the death of an estimated 5.4 million people. Many of these by disease or starvation. And another 2 million have been displaced from their homes. Where, O oh Lord, is your justice? In many countries, the persecution is not due to any war or ethnic difference, but is directly focused upon the Christians. According to the Esther Project, 322 Christians are killed for their faith every month worldwide. And 214 churches and Christian properties are also destroyed each month. And this is only a snapshot. I have not mentioned North Korea, Burma, Nigeria, China, Venezuela, Pakistan, Myanmar, 
And let us not forget the oppression that occurs in our very own United States of America and in every country in the world. Where are you, God? Where is your justice? How are we supposed to praise God like David does in this psalm with this is not what we see? This is not the reality that we see on the news or hear from people. Well, I have two points to answer this question. The first, God's justice has been done. And the second is God's justice will be done. So first, God's justice has been done. Just because God has not yet put an end to all the wickedness, this does not mean that God has not brought judgment upon evil countless times throughout history. Let's look in the Bible. In the book of Exodus, we read that God's people, the Israelites, or the Hebrews, as they were called, were oppressed by Pharaoh with heavy burdens. They were slaves. They had hard work to do. They were hated. And the government attempted to kill every newborn male. And this didn't continue for just a couple years. This continued for generations. And I'm sure the people cried out, God, where is your justice? Where are you, God? But the Lord did answer. He answered in his timing and for his purposes. He heard the cries of his people, and through the hands of Moses, God judged Egypt. God sent the ten plagues upon Pharaoh, rescued his people, and plundered the Egyptians. God had justice. But later, it was the Israelites themselves who had become corrupt. They fell into the evil practices of the nations around them, and they persecuted and killed the prophets that were sent to them. Seeing such wickedness, the prophet Habakkuk cried out, O Lord, how long shall I cry out for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. So to paraphrase what Habakkuk was saying, he's basically saying, where are you, God? Where is your justice? He could relate with how we feel. But justice did come in God's timing. Maybe not the next day, but in God's timing, the Hebrew nations of Israel and Judah were conquered by Assyria and Babylon, and justice came upon the Israelites. Yet those conquering nations were worse than before, so God sent further nations to destroy them. We could go on for hours proclaiming how God has been just throughout human history. He has been just time and time again judging the wicked. But sometimes this is poor comfort. For whenever one evil nation is brought down, another just rises up to take its place. And sometimes we don't see the wicked fall. Sometimes very immoral and terrible people seem to live happy lives. 
Psalm 73 laments this reality. It says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, and their bodies are fat and sleek. Always at ease, they increase in riches. So there's a continual reason to ask, like David at the beginning of Psalm 10, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Where are you, God? Where is your justice? Well, this leads me to my second point. Justice will be done. To be honest, if we look at life from a purely earthly perspective, then there is no justice. Some people are evil, and they'll do well. And some people are good, and they will suffer. It's not fair. It's not just. But, as believers, we must learn to see life from the perspective of God. From an eternal perspective. For that is where justice is found. In our passage, Psalm 9, David writes, The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins, and the wicked shall return to Sheol. Remember Psalm 73 that I quoted earlier about the prosperity of the wicked? The writer goes on to say, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Jumping to the New Testament, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable about some sheep and some goats. The sheep represent the righteous, and the goats represent the wicked. And Jesus says at the conclusion of this parable that the, the righteous shall go into eternal life, but the wicked into eternal punishment. The Bible makes it clear that in this side of eternity, in this moment, it may seem like there is no justice and that the wicked and evil go free, but that is not their ultimate end. God is not forgotten to be just, as David knows in this psalm. He does not let the wicked go free, nor will he allow the righteous to be oppressed forever. There will come a day when all things will be made right. Evil will be judged to eternal punishment, and the righteous rewarded to eternal life. But this will come in God's timing, and he is patient, far more patient than we are. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance. So, let's put everything together that we've gone over so far. Praise the Lord because he is just. The wicked will stumble and perish, while the oppressed he remembers and helps. This comes in his timing because he is patient. One day there will be eternal life for the righteous and eternal punishment for the wicked. That sounds pretty good, except we're missing one crucial point of clarification. Who are the wicked? Is it just those nations that I talked about earlier? Who are the righteous? This is a crucial question to answer because the ramifications are enormous. We should not just assume when we read a psalm like this that we are on the good side. Who are the wicked? Well, let's look at the passage of Psalm 9 and see what it says. In verse 11, or sorry, verse 17, the wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. All the nations that forget God. This is how David describes the wicked here. But what does that mean? Does it mean that we just forget that God exists? For some people, maybe. But I think there's more to it than intellectual thought. So imagine that there's a teenage boy, and he goes off to school, and there he begins to curse, steal, cheat, skip classes, all things that his parents disapprove of. I would say that this boy has forgotten his parents. He isn't honoring them. He isn't loving them. He is behaving as if he didn't care about them at all. I believe that this is a more accurate picture of what it's like when people forget God. They don't care about God. They don't love him or honor him or fear him. And their behavior will reflect what they believe. They have forgotten God. These are the people who will be counted as wicked. Those who forget God. Those who do not know God. For God is the ultimate light in the universe. And he is the creator. And he desires the best for all of us. And when we forget God, we are rejecting his reign and his kingdom. So if these are the wicked... Who are the righteous? Psalm 9 describes how the oppressed, the needy, and the afflicted will be remembered by God. But does this mean that the basis for salvation is to be afflicted? That only victims and martyrs find God's favor? Should we go about seeking oppression just to get on God's good side? Well, it is true that there is a special place in God's heart for the oppressed. God cares about the downcast and the trampled upon, but this is not the basis for their salvation. I think if we look at Psalm, uh, Psalm 9, verse 10, it gives a fuller picture of the people of God. It says, And for those who know your name, for those who put their trust in you, O Lord, uh, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The verse speaks about those who know God, 
trust God and seek God. It is the opposite of those who are wicked and forget God. Those who know God will not be forget, forsaken by God. And the New Testament repeats this idea. Jesus said, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know God is the basis for salvation. To know God through faith. This is how the righteous are identified. By knowing God, trusting God, and seeking God. And notice how these things start in the heart. It is an internal change. It is not just external behavior. Good works are important. Putting an end to our sin is important. And these are things we should do. But an outward change comes from an inward change. This is what God is most concerned about. God wants to change your heart. He wants a heart that, like David in verse 1, gives thanks to the Lord with his whole heart. So let's put all these things together again. Praise the Lord because he is just. The wicked who forget God will stumble and perish, while those who know God and are oppressed he remembers and helps. This comes in his timing because he is patient. And one day there will be eternal punishment for those who forget God and eternal life for those who know God. Finally, there's one more thing to define. If the righteous are those who know God, then who is God? And how do we know him? Well, the Gospel of John has a lot to say on this subject. Jesus said, If you knew me, you would know my Father as well. And whoever sees me sees the one who sent me. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. To know God is to know Jesus, who is the complete fulfillment of this psalm. It is through Jesus where we see God's justice fully demonstrated. Because the truth is, we all deserve to be on the side of the wicked. We all have forsaken God. We have forgotten him. And we all deserve the judgment that is pronounced in this psalm. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God is merciful and just. So Jesus took the judgment upon himself so that his justice and mercy could be shown together. When we look at the wickedness in the world and we ask, Oh Lord, where is your justice? Let us look to the cross. For that is where God's justice is ultimately known. That is where our wickedness was condemned. Jesus took the punishment. Jesus took the judgment of God for those who know God, for those who trust in him. For our God is a gracious God. Without Jesus, God's justice is a terrifying thing. But through Jesus, there is justice and mercy, a beautiful thing. We are made right with God. So like David in the psalm, let's go back to verses 1 and 2. 
Let us praise the Lord. Let us praise him because he is just. Let us praise him because of his mercy. His justice did not fall on those who know him, but on his son, Jesus Christ. But for those who forget God, for those who do not know him, or trust him, or seek him, they still carry the Lord's judgment with them. And we know that God's justice will come in his timing. But I will repeat the words that I read earlier from Second Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Praise the Lord for his justice. So one more time, in conclusion... Praise the Lord because he is just. The wicked who forget God will stumble and perish, while those who know God and are oppressed, he remembers and helps. This comes in his timing because he is patient. One day there will be eternal punishment for those who forget God, but eternal life for those who know God because Jesus Christ fulfilled the justice of God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are just. Lord, you are awesome and mighty. And Lord, we know that your justice will come in your timing. And we thank you so much that through Jesus Christ, your justice no longer falls on us, that you took the condemnation we deserve. And so, Lord, may we praise you for that. Lord, we do thank you and praise you and worship you, Lord, for you are a good God, a just God, and a righteous God. Amen.